Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Each episode, I'll bring on some experts, we'll talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Beth Arrett, an association evangelist with over 25 years experience in marketing and member engagement, and I'm so happy you're here. Now let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Member Engagement Show. I am super excited for today's guest. With us, we have Kiki Latalian. Kiki, how are you doing? I am doing so well. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, super excited to have you. I'm so glad this worked out really well. Why don't we start out by you just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to where you are. Okay. Well, so a little bit about myself. I, I started out focused on marketing for a um, hospital system out of college. And I thought that I was going to be this, this, you know, journalist that was into print journalism and stuff. That's what I studied in college. And instead, my first job out of, of college happened to be in a marketing department. And when I did that, I was really kind of concerned that that might be my whole focus, but there's this weird world of associations that existed out there that sort of I fell into. I fell into it on a visit to visit my brother. Um, He is a reporter in Baltimore, a television reporter. And as I was visiting him, I met a friend of the families that's an executive director for an association at the time in Bethesda, Maryland. He offered me a job and I wanted to get out of Missouri which is where I'm from. And so I grabbed, I didn't even, I didn't even go back home to, to move things out of my apartment. I took oh, the wow. job. I know I took, it was, it was a brave, bold move. I was like really ready to move on. And I just took that job and sort of jumped into the wild, wacky world of associations. And I've been a part of that world ever since. I love it. Wild and wacky. That is definitely a great way to describe it. <laughs> I kind of feel like associations are a little bit like the funeral industry and in that most people, either you grew up in it or you fall into it without realizing it was a career option. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. It's like, when you, remote, so. it's like when you meet people in DC and they're rarely from DC, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's like, are you really a native of this place? And um, to be a native of the, of the association world where you grew up in it is a gift, I think, because you, yeah. you're able to see the impact it has early on. You're lucky. Um, the rest of us are just still in that spot where we're explaining to our family at Thanksgiving, you know, what an association is and trying really hard to get them to understand. It is a little <laughs> bit hard to explain this to people who aren't familiar with it. Um, and I, yeah. it, that's something that I never really thought about um, because I grew up with my father in all these different associations. And so even though he didn't work in them, he was a member. And so I grew up seeing what the member impact was, yeah. which sort of cemented for me what a great place it is to be. Well, and I think when you see that and you hear the stories and you were sort of, that was a gift to you because you were able to, that that's sort of knowing a special language. And yeah. one of the things that over the years, you know, different companies that have come to me and they, they want to understand associations. They want to better understand, you know, the, the, uh, to understand the, the people who work in associations, why they choose to work in it, the people who choose to belong to associations. And it's funny for those of us who have spent so much time in this industry, 
it, it's funny to try to to think about, well, how am I going to explain to these people like what the association industry is really all about and the special kind of world that it is? There's also that issue where you you meet people who work for associations for years and they don't actually completely grasp what the association industry is all about. And that's an interesting that's an interesting perspective too. You're talking about the companies who want to understand associations are the people who might work there and don't quite understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that comes through. Like whether the company wants to understand associations or how to use associations can kind of be two different things. Totally. Which kind of like leads me a little bit to past conversations that we had talking about you know how trust is a commodity that's really hard to come by. Well, I mean, and that's that's so true now because I think that for so many different reasons, let's just talk about a few of them. I mean, one of them is that as a society, you, we've gone through this time where everything's so unpredictable. Not We were talking about things being unpredictable before because technology had gone through so many quick, fast changes where as a society, we had to adapt and grow very quickly without having much time to figure out if that was even, if we were making the right decisions. And then along comes something like this global pandemic that we're, you know, still going through, but thankfully, you know, we've, or maybe not thankfully, we've, we've sort of become accustomed to, to dealing with it. And, and because of that, because of the pause that we had, you know, the great pause, we all started thinking, well, you know, maybe I really don't need to be doing this with um, my technology. Maybe I should cut back on it. Maybe I don't want to travel all the time. Maybe I do want to st- work from home. Maybe, maybe this can work in a different way. And because of that great experiment that happened, we're still figuring stuff out as a result of it. It's a time when so many things were up in the air that our human brains were saying, what can I trust? Nothing is as it was. Nothing seems like the way I've grown to expect it to be, you know? And so we look around and we say, well, what's stable? What can I trust? Automatically, we're also saying, you know, does that still make sense in my life? That makes sense, right? It makes sense that we were reassessing and yeah. trying to figure it out. And for associations, of course, that means that the question of value proposition immediately became an issue because it's like, okay, if the value proposition for our association was tenuous, if it was like if we didn't have this really great connection to our membership where we provided a lot of value, or if the value that they got was only at this annual meeting where we saw each other face to face, they started facing a crisis. And they had to begin asking questions like, how can we develop better engagement with our with our association members? How can we make it so that they trust what we're providing them? And a lot of associations who maybe looked at their members as really, you know, they're they're the audience that they can kind of sell, you know, sell their their members to you know, not necessarily their sponsors, but also, you know, to to some of the advertisers and different entities that wanted to be in front of them. That's where the trust stuff really became kind of an issue for associations in my mind. And um, for those associations who knew better and who made sure to put their members first, 
I think that they came, they were coming out of this feeling like they probably were wise in their approach for those who maybe I don't, I hate using these words because it sounds kind of like villainous, you know, it's like, but, but like, but like for those who kind of sold out their members, right. They, they were like, yeah, well, I don't know if this is necessarily a fit for them, but we're going to make X amount of dollars. And that, that means a lot to us. Their members might've said, I don't know if you're for me anymore. That over meaning has its ramifications. Right. And, and that's the thing is that I, and I know, I have some specific, I won't name names, but I have some specific organizations where I've heard that about them, you know, and it's like, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to overcome. But I do think the associations can overcome it because ultimately I think that you can choose how you, how you choose to interact with your members and you can choose the messages that you want to share and you can choose to change, to make a course correction. Going back that lack of trust, say that mm-hmm. I've cho- you know, my my association chose money over meeting, and so now I've got this lack of trust. What kind of issues? I mean, obviously membership drop is going to be part of it, but what other kinds of issues does that really create with my members now? Right. Well, so one of the big issues is like conflict of interest. And that's um, a lot of times we think about conflict of interest as like a legal concern because, you know, maybe your board needs to sign their conflict of interest statement and make sure that they're not making decisions that are lining their pockets versus being something that's for the good of the organization. But conflict of interest can also mean that, you know, an association is making decisions that are not for the good of the whole, but are for the good of just the bottom line. And there's this popular thing that, that is fun to say, which is no no money, no mission, right? We've all heard that. No money, yeah. no mission. You have to have money. And that makes sense. Of course, you need to, to do that. But you can't choose money over mission. And that that is where I think things can get a little dicey because perception is. Perception is what people you know, perception is what your members are going to look at for making their decisions. And in the absence of information, they're going to fill in those blanks with a story. And what is that story? So this can, this can really hurt an association that's known for things like making sure that they provide trustworthy resources and information. Um, Say you have a professional association that is known for providing not just research, but it's also known for providing, you know, the best, most, most up-to-date information for the industry that you can find. But if the, if the members believe that that association, that those editors are making choices on what they're seeing based off of who's giving them money versus what the best information is out there, they're not always different, by the way. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't have, but it's a dangerous, dangerous line because you have to make sure that that quality of information is top notch because if it crosses over into something where where it's pay to play your members aren't going to trust in in your association anymore and and that is losing trust as an association is just a, a horrible place to be when you get the flip side of that too, a lot of associations that don't rely on just member dues often rely very heavily on sort of corporate uh, vendor yeah. 
income, you know, whether it's corporate partnerships, sponsorships, exhibits, sponsorships at events, that kind of thing. And you have to build that same kind of trust with those corporates. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, a, a sense of fairness and things like that. And also show your members that those corporates are here for good reason and that you're getting benefits out of the money they're spending, that that money is right. not just going into somebody's pocket. Well, and I think that also speaks to the value of having someone who's really great at partnerships at your association because because when you have the right fit, that's a beautiful thing because so a lot of associations, they're working with different vendors and um, whoever it is that's really trying to get in front of their, their membership, oftentimes they will have the best research. They'll have the most cutting edge stuff because they're out there and they're they're having to develop that. They have the the budget to do the research. They have the budget to experiment. And they have the data that can actually go and, and really, really build and help different industries in a way that you just couldn't if you were just waiting for something to sort of, you know, fall into your lap from from your volunteers or something. However, the thing, the key is, is that relationship. I mean, if you don't have that relationship building part where you have someone who's really knowledgeable, who's working in partnerships, who understands both the association and the industry and what it is that is providing value and what to look out for, then you run into some difficulty. And some associations I see, they, they hire on... Uh, people from the industry for just for the sole purpose to vet the information that's coming through to make sure that it is high quality and that they're doing things the right way because you know not everyone knows you know the, that at that level of specification. I mean, I, I worked for some scientific associations in my background, so like it can get very technical, very specific in those those areas. You know, somebody who's an, an association executive might be really great at managing all kinds of things, but they might not have gotten into the nitty gritty details of the latest research in optics, for example. You know, there are ways to to work in this, work yeah, with this. It's almost like you should have um, somebody whose job literally is title is something like association lens. Hi. Yeah. My association, title is association lens. lens. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. I think that's such a good one. I think it should be a new job. I think we should yeah. push for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Now hiring association lens. I think that there's. I think that with that lack of trust, you know, it's like you, like I said before, you know, lack of trust can be a super big issue, but it's also something that you have to actively work at cultivating. So how do you do that though? I mean, especially if you're trying to do one to many communication, it's one thing if you've got like 200 members, but I know you've got 20,000. How do you build that kind of trust? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's a lot of little things. So there's this. Um, Oh gosh. She so Rachel Botsman is this author who writes about trust and she has she has really fantastic um TED Talks out there that people can go and check out. I really every time I talk about trust I want people to go and and look up uh, Rachel's work. So her name is Rachel Botsman, Botsman with a T. And she talks about how Trust isn't something you build once. You don't talk about building trust. You cultivate trust, right? Like you have to continually work at it, proactively work at cultivating trust because it's not like something that once you have it, you always have it. You just always have to be working at it. And um, she gives examples of how you're able to cultivate trust by 
all kinds of little things that you do along the way. So for example, there are trust signals that we give to people. Um, and it's, it's, it can be little things like watch for our newsletter every Wednesday. Does your newsletter come out every Wednesday? Does it actually go out when you say it will go out? That's an element of cultivating trust. I, I said this recently with somebody with a blog post. I was, yes. They were talking about, oh, we need a blog. Why? Why do you need a blog? Well, you know, we really need to have one. Okay. Here's the thing. If you're not going to be able to commit that bandwidth and actually be able to put it out on a regular basis, somebody comes to their site and they see that you haven't posted a blog in three months, they're not going to trust you. They're going to be like, oh, well, you put, you know, you're not really putting work into this association. So if yeah, you can't and, commit to it, don't have a blog. And trust, trust is a funny thing because, and, and this is, I talk about this with um, people who talk about community and very rarely will somebody come to you and say, I'm not active in your community anymore because I don't trust you. They won't say that. They won't call it that. They won't even think of it that way. But all it takes is there's this time where they expect something to happen and it doesn't happen. And they, they make this sort of internally, they make this decision like, oh, I guess they don't mean what they say, right? Like, I guess, I guess they just, it didn't, and they let it go. And maybe they give you a chance again, and maybe they don't, but they don't ever come to you and say, I don't trust you. That's why I didn't come back. They'll say something like, oh, I guess there's other things I've started paying attention to, or, oh, I find more value somewhere else. Why, why, why? They probably didn't even realize that that was the, the thing, this, the, that, that, that broken communication was the reason that they decided that they couldn't trust that you would deliver on your promise. But that's what happened. And they made a decision as a result of it. And so, you know, striving to always be a person whose word is solid, it is so hard. None of us are perfect. And, you know, it makes me itchy to even suggest that, you know, like you can't make a mistake because obviously we're all going to make mistakes. But right. you have to How strive. You handle that mistake. It's what the it's what you do right after that. What do you do right after that? What's the what's the that can best build more next trust than step. not making a mistake at all if you do yeah. it right. Yeah, and and do you recognize do you recognize it? Can you can you move on? Because you know at that point, if you're able to acknowledge and and then do the right next thing, communicate about it if you need to about what happened or explain what happened. You know, okay. If you, I mean, I think if you get it right, like 90%, it's like a diet. If you get it right 90% of the time, you're probably going to be successful. But it's just, is it 90% or is it more like 50%? If it's 50%, you're failing. And and like that, that is not something where you're cultivating trust in a, in a healthy way. Yeah. And so, so you were talking a little bit about building the trust and, you know, making sure that you do what you say you're going to do. Um, let's say... I'll use a community manager as an example, just because it's there. Say you hire somebody to manage your community and they're from the industry. They might be an excellent communicator in person. You know, you've seen them at events and they network great, but now, you know, so much is online and they might struggle with digital communication. So how do you, do you have any thoughts on or suggestions for people on how to overcome that shift or become more comfortable with it so that they can be effective both digitally as well as in person? Yes, I do. Um, because this is something that I've thought about a lot. And I've also in exercise in practice, you know, this is something that I've realized that helps me to do better in that type of work as well. And that is that it's not just about 
you, this, this is helpful for me. Hopefully it's helpful for other people listening, but it's not just about you motivating other people or even sharing the best information. All of those things are good, but without the piece where they're talking to each other or they're, they're, you're giving them a safe level of vulnerability, a chance to be vulnerable with each other safely without encouraging that, then you're going to have more of a struggle than if you start thinking in terms of how do I get these people to share with each other and to feel more comfortable in sharing, sharing information about themselves that won't make them look bad, but that will help people to get to know them better. And, and when you start thinking about what it is that you're trying to, like, where is that happy place? If you're effective at your job, if you're effective at like bringing people together, for example, as a communicator, it's not just, you're hoping, hopefully you're hoping that, especially in the case of, um, someone who is focused on community, like community manager, It's not just about getting the information out and communicating that information out one way, but it's also about how are you fostering community? I mean, that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. So I guess to become more comfortable with it, it is what makes other people more comfortable. Getting super curious is also like a key. I would say that that's one of the, if you had to wear a a word around your neck for a while and just focus on that one idea for a long, long time. Getting curious and asking more questions and trying to understand things more it is a more natural approach for people. And they feel, I, they sort of instinctively will feel more natural in that engagement and in that communication as well than if you're just focused on trying to look smart, sound smart, be smart, (laughs) you know, that's probably, I'm probably like revealing a lot about my inner psyche here because like, I'm worried (laughs) about that. I worry about that stuff, but like to get over that, nobody cares how, like nobody, like, you know, I hate to break it to you, but nobody really cares how smart you are. They don't. I like, I wish no. they did, but they don't. They don't. They um, can, if it can help them. And I don't mean that in an, in an authentic way. I mean, like if it's, if it's intelligence in an area where they can use help on something and you're willing to yeah. like share and help, they care about that. They care about how they care about how you can help them, but they, they care about it in most of them care about it in a very authentic human kind of way, not in a, Oh, I'm only in it for what's in it for me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. If they can grab onto information that's helpful to them at the moment that that they're able to use and they trust where it's coming from, Mm -hmm. they trust you. Awesome. You're doing great. If they, if it's, and that's another thing, if it's easy to understand. So, so, so often we complicate things because what, why we're trying to look smart. We're trying to like prove, prove that we know what we're talking about. Well, okay, good. It's important to be smart. It's important to, to know your stuff, but you don't have to like, you don't have to worry about giving all. And we talked about this before we even had this, this interview, (laughs) we talked about this thing where it's like, most people don't want all of the details. What they need is the most important pieces that they can use. Most important and that's pieces to them. Yeah, to them. Exactly. What's the most important thing to them? That's the thing. You know, it's like, are you communicating with good intention? Do you know your stuff? And are you focused on what's most important to them? 
Are you approaching it with curiosity where you're exploring? If you do that, if you explore things with curiosity, then you ask the questions they would ask. So like, for example, if you're doing an interview, you would say, well, what do these, what is this audience, my audience, what, what are the top three things they need to know about this thing? And, and then give the person the chance to answer that because you're wanting to get the information that they need the most. And, and if they know that you're doing that, then they're going to understand it. I think that brings up a great point about difference in communication styles and how people can sort of either you're not asking questions and people really want you to ask questions in order to find out what they want. So if you're not a kind of person who explores and asks questions, how does those difference in communication styles, how do those sort of play into community engagement? Oh, definitely. So this is a, so I just got a question about this the other day from someone who was, who was asking me about his marketing. He, he had this idea for, he's a consultant and he is very visible in the association world. And he was asking me about what he should do. He said, I'm really good on video, but I know that a lot of people read my articles. Here's what I've got going on right now. And what do you think I should do? And I'm like, you know, the thing is, is that you can take an approach where you're playing to your strengths and then tailor it so that people can get value out of it in different ways. Not everyone's great on video. And there's a big push. You'll hear video, video, because video's great. They'll recognize you. They'll connect with you. They'll, they'll like, audio's great because, you know, when you're in their ear, people start forming these relationships with you. There's a lot of psychology behind why you know, being able to go and use as many of people's different senses as possible is really good for being able to cultivate this, this feeling of a, a relationship and trust and all of this stuff. Yeah. But, but we're not all good at all of that stuff. And also we can't do all of that stuff all the time. So what do you do when you have that sort of situation? And there are different types of people who respond in varying degrees of success to different types of communication styles. Well, then you try to use what you play to your strengths and you pl you try to use what's going to be the best for your particular group. Some groups respond better to different types of communications. Um, I'll give you an example. So like association chat, back in the day, it started out as I like to say the most pornographic sounding hashtag ever, ass and chat. Ass and Somebody chat. actually asked me about that when we yeah. had to use the tag on social media last yeah. year. They're like, should we use really that? the right chat? I'm like, yeah, that it's old school. Mm -hmm. It's from back in Twitter, way ass back in the chat. day. But yes, that is the, that is that the, is the one. Hashtag ass and chat. Ass and chat. <laughs> and it started out as a tweet chat. And so what we knew for sure at that time was that it was people who were early adopters, who were probably tech savvy, but maybe not tech savvy, but tech curious, tech curious enough to be exploring with the early days of Twitter and participating in these online chats. So who would be, and they also had to be interested in associations. Otherwise, why would you go to the hashtag ass and chat? I can think of a reason, but it probably, <laughs> but it's not probably the one wouldn't you stay there. Right. <laughs> so, so like that was a very, very, very niche audience. That's why the roots in association chat have this tech heavy presence is because it was like all people who were really interested in that kind of thing early on, but it it's, it's evolved. And eventually there were people who said, I wish I could participate. And this is really the history of that decision. I wish I could participate 
I, I hear stuff all the time about what's being talked about, but I'm not very good at Twitter. I don't understand Twitter and that kind of thing. And it's like, well, how do you bring this conversation or how do you bring these topics to people who want to be a part of the discussion, but they don't necessarily know how to interact on Twitter? And you know, you just, you have to figure out what is the thing for your particular audience that's going to, to be the best. And what I ended up telling my friend who was asking for my advice, and I don't, I don't know if he's going to take it or not, but what I ended up telling him is, you know, you're absolutely great on, on video. I completely agree. I don't think you have to saddle yourself with saying every Tuesday at this time, I'm going to show up on video because he's a consultant and guess what? He's going to have client engagements during some of those, you know? So I know that unless it's something that's pre-recorded and he thinks it's really important that he's live, I know that he's going to run into trouble with that. And then you run into what we talked about before, which is like, how do you cultivate trust? If you say you're going to be there, you better be there or you need to change your approach because if you can't, then you need to do something else. This is hitting home right now because I launched a newsletter back in January and people tried to convince me to do it bi-weekly and I'm like, no, no, I'm going to do it weekly. It's fine. And I struggle sometimes, yeah. but I believe I made the commitment that it's going to come out every Tuesday and it might still only be Tuesday in California when it comes out, but that sucker's going to go out no matter what it does to me. And that's, it's an interesting commitment to make something that you should, that people should probably think about before. Yeah, they it, it is it. a so commitment. Advice. You should buy yourself a ring and put it on. And it's like, you should be like, this is my commitment that I'm going to write for my blog when I say I will, or I'm going to write for my, you know, because or your newsletter or whatever, because it is. It, and same thing with podcasts. And and so if you don't have to commit to that, like if you can't, if you have so much variability in your schedule or you don't have the resources in the association to like dedicate somebody to do that, because P.S., your volunteers are probably not going to be the ones that are doing oh, that. People totally. are not going to be like, yeah. yeah, they have a regular job. And, and the thing is, is that commitment, that's, that's why. That's why you're going to get pushback from people saying, unless you really, really mean it, figure out something else. You know, maybe it's just one once a month and it's really, really good once a month. Maybe it's once a week. It's really, really good once, but whatever it is, you know, you commit to that. And I think for him, you know, what I learned is that video is great because you can, you can transcribe it and stuff like that. There are some people who just will not take the time to listen or watch video. They would prefer to read whatever it is as a synopsis. And I said, so what I've learned over time is that you kind of need to have both if you can, you know, and like if you have that video component, have some sort of textual component to go with it because there's always, you're going to have people in both camps um, most often. And so if you can figure out, even if it's a summary or even key takeaways or something like that, have something where you're able to provide for people who maybe their only way that they, they choose to take information in is through like text. Yeah. It drives, nothing drives me crazier than to go to a news article in particular. And I'm mm -hmm. really interested in what the news article is going to say. And my only option is video. I, me too. And I love video, but you know what? I, I love it. But so often yeah. I'm just looking for that information. And if I'm really, really interested, I might go and watch the video, but that takes time. And it's a lot easier for me to peruse what the points are. And I, I had such a big argument with 
<laughs> this is another person I was talking to about this. And it was like, I had such a big argument because I was saying, listen, client, you really like, I appreciate this great, awesomely produced video that you've created. It is so like, I love that kind of stuff. It's really well done. It looks super professional. Wouldn't it be great if you offered the takeaways over here where it's easy for people to act? Do you think that they, do you think that an executive really, yes, I do. I do. Because they don't want to take the time to watch the whole video, no matter how awesome it is, you know? And then and, there's a second part to that though. And that's the SEO component. Oh, it's totally the SEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so many reasons and they're all interconnected. And then somebody will say, well, you know, I don't see that the social media is really driving home. I'm like, no, no, no. You post post this on your social media. It drives, you put the link there. It drives it back. It's providing social proof. All this stuff is interconnected. And to do each one of these things in a vacuum is folly. One, I think it's it's interesting because we could probably spend a whole other podcast talking about building trust in so, with social media algorithms that they actually put your message out there for you. Absolutely. But I did want to. I know we're like getting close on time, and I did want to talk a little bit about an aspect of that, which is digital body language. Well, you know, there's that great book that everyone should check out that is about digital body language by Erica Dewan. I might be mispronouncing her last name. She's she's phenomenal. She talks a lot about this this topic, digital body language, and, and you know, I think about all of the the times when I was going through college where there was a professor that was saying, you know, you need to have a really great handshake and how they see you when you walk into the room when you're sitting for your interview. Project so power. Critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you can take these. <laughs> Don't cross your power. arms. That's right. And what are your colors? And what are your colors saying about you? And then, but then you'll get like, I, I don't know how many conversations I've had where somebody who uses a period rather than a friendlier. And so it's like, thank you, period, um, yes. as a sign off. And that's like, are they mad? Do they yes. hate me? My job is in peril. Maybe I should start looking at my my resume again. And, I had a boss um, who was like the nicest, warmest person. Like she's one of those voices that just exudes warmth, you know? And um, Jackie Sherraker, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. You are. <laughs> um, but the first, I've told her this too, so she knows this. The first like six months I worked for her, every time I got an email, I was like, what I do? Is she angry? What happened? What did I, mm-hmm. what I, I didn't say anything, did I? Because her way of communicating came across so well and so warm and in person because of who she is. But digitally, it came across very formal and cold, slightly right? terrifying if you didn't know yeah, her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and it's, it's weird. There's this weird dance we do that is at the beginning of, of a digital communication transaction where it's like the first few emails you have between people, you're like, Hmm, are you an emoji person or are you, or are you someone I can use exclamation marks with? Or can I be like, thank you, exclamation mark? Or am I, thank you, dash, uh, M dash? Am I, am I a thank you, comma? You know, how, how are we doing, what are we doing here? Because, because we're all a little nervous about making the wrong step. And there are definitely, I, I play the mirroring game where it's like, almost as if when you're waiting to see how someone acts at the table across from you, when you go to meet them for your interview or your, you sort of wait and mirror what, what they're doing because you're trying to make them feel comfortable and you're trying not to have some sort of social faux pas that is going to make them think poorly of you. Right. 
And so it's the same sort of thing with communication where it's like you, you in an interaction like that, when you're trying to cultivate trust, if somebody, if somebody's wanting to make sure that you're super professional in your communication, probably not best to whip out your, your affinity for ellipses and exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, <laughs> and all the emojis. You in just the world. described me. <laughs> right. Me too. Me too. Because, well, because, you know, like for us, you know, it's like I, I am friendly. I want people, I want people to feel comfortable with me. I want them to, I'm, I like to joke and I, that's another danger. You can't really, like, you have to be extremely cautious with humor or anything like that. Because unless you know for sure that the person that you're corresponding with is on the same wavelength, that's something that can seem to some people to be either unprofessional or trite or, I mean, God forbid that you you are saying something that offends, right? And, and so erring on the side of caution at the beginning while you're getting to know someone else or an audience better, it's a wise idea. But it's also, you know... In this, this idea of building trust, what builds trust more than showing a little vulnerability? So like it's very difficult to talk about this topic without acknowledging the fact that, you know, the way that people on, on TikTok and on Instagram will cultivate trust is that you're seeing vulnerable moments in their lives. Most often they're showing you some mistakes that they make or they're talking about them or they're making fun of them. Not that that's something that if you're representing an organization that you should go and do, but if you're trying to personally cultivate trust, like say you're the community manager, it's okay maybe to show a little bit of your human side. And I feel like sometimes people need to be told that because if you do come across as too robotic, it blends in. It becomes this sort of beige background that people ignore that doesn't work for us either, does it? They need to see you. And that's hard to do sometimes in just words. It is. On a page. Yeah. It is. I mean, you, you might have a picture to go with it, which is a whole other thing about choosing the right picture and things like that that, you know, we won't get into, particularly if you're doing a lot of text heavy communication with somebody. But yeah, they need to see you. I mean, I learned to embrace my inner exclamations and ellipses <laughs> to a point. To but a point. But I still do right. a lot of the mirroring. You know, yeah, yeah. I do a lot of mirroring. And then as soon as I figure out, I can break those out. Now, on community, like on the hug community for Hyologic users, I tend to be a little more effusive and because they know me. They knew me as a as a hug yeah. member before I was like on before I worked for Hyologic. Yeah, I think that's so important because, you know, it's like people don't want, like, are you really going to build community around like something where people are just having to be on the edges of their seats where they're, where they're so scared that they're going to mistype something? If, if people are afraid to interact, if they're afraid that they're going to be judged poorly, if they're afraid that they can't communicate properly, it's going to be really hard to, to build a warm community where people feel comfortable asking questions or taking risks. I think that for, as a community manager, the job that one of your jobs is, is to make people feel at home. They feel comfortable, like you're safe here. And so anything that helps that safe, that safe feeling to cultivate that safe feeling, like you can ask your question and not be completely torn apart by the angry wolves. Down. Yeah. Shut, <laughs> shut down. down. You know, yeah. talking about 
hug, which happens to be a user community for a software. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like ASAE or something. It's not a true association. Although I keep saying that I want to make higher logic soft, the really cool community that just happens to come with software. Yeah. You know, that's a pie in the sky kind of thing, I think sometimes. Um, But we do have a really good community and those people are really helpful with each other and worked hard to make sure that people don't just shut them down. It's not meant for ticket escalation. But I yeah. think sometimes creating that around a brand community can be difficult. And we talked about that a little bit before. We've talked about that before, I think. But it's possible if you care about the people and it's about the people and not about the brand or what the brand does. Totally. Well, what I love about, I mean, I've heard people talk about the hug community for years, years now. And I think that there is this sense of warmth from what I've been able to to hear from others. And by the way, everyone like, you know, like, I'm not just saying like I'm not just saying this because I'm trying to make like I'm I'm trying to make Beth feel good. But no, I mean I think that No, she'd totally tell me if I was wrong. Trust me. Yeah. I, I mean I think I think that what people get out of it is that they do trust the others to share what their own experiences are, even if they're not the best. Like you have to share the the failures. You have to share the things that don't work. You have to share, like, I tried it this way. It didn't work. How can, you know, what should I do differently? And being able to share that in a place where you feel safe is so valuable. It's so valuable right now. Like, I mean, especially you feel heard. Yeah. You feel heard. You feel like you have a resource where people can go. They can ask the question they need to ask and get it answered. What's better than that? I mean, that's, that's just the absolute best. You're, you're looking for something where people feel safe to get the, the information and to have the sort of engagement they're looking for. We can go to a lot of different places to just feel good as people. But if you're I talking go through TikTok and for an hour and feel great about myself, <laughs> I or bad. I mean, it depends on what, like, who you're following, I guess. But well, like, like that, yeah, yeah it depends on who you're following. Makes me feel better about my life. I'm like, oh, okay, at least I didn't smack into that light pole this time. Yes, yes. <laughs> but you know, if you know, if you're looking for a sp- very specific niche advice to be able to have a community where you're like, oh yeah, I know they know what they're talking about because this is who they are. This is where they were. This is what they're doing. Well, and and that's this what is I love about place. ASA Collaborate, too. I mean, I yeah. think Collaborate oh, is yeah. you can go and you can find all these people with great answers. And there's there is such a sense of community and helping people. I mean, you do get vendors who are like, oh, my solution will help you, which is fine because, you know, you might not find that solution otherwise. But you do. You get so much help and you get like thoughtful experiences from people that are not ones that are carefully solicited or um, gatekept by salespeople. Totally. About their experiences with things. And you totally. get people who are like, oh, well, we did this. So you get real solutions. It's the same reason that I love NIOG um, as a community because we joined NIOG. That's for people who don't know, it's the IMIS user group at AAA. We joined NIOG before we um, joined, um, before we even launched IMIS because it was such a great resource. It's such a great community of people who are willing to offer up solutions they've come up with. And it's a very active one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. the same thing that I loved about being a member of IAEE, International Association of, I'm going to get this wrong, yeah. Exposition and Exhibit, something like that, because I always knew that they were going to have the right information for me. They were going to have, during the pandemic, I mean, they were, their community was instrumental in making sure that association people were up to date all over the place about where they could and couldn't do things, what was shut down, what had this rule. I mean, they must have like driven themselves crazy work finding this information but they did 
Yeah. And people were contributing the information too. So it was a trustworthy source that I knew was going to be in a, in such a time where money was tight, information was constantly changing. They were a great source of news. All of those places I could say that I mentioned, and I know there are tons of other associations out there like that. I didn't think about just certain ones, but those are the ones that I've had the most recent experience with, but those are the reasons why I love them. I know. I mean, I, I agree with you on the uh, ASAE collaborate, you know, when people share their models and templates, that's something that's always really super popular because people are looking for those examples. They're not trying to rip it off. They're trying to like, am I on the right track? How should I format this? There are so many different ways to, to do this. How do I do this for my association? So super, super helpful, super resourceful. And also like uh, I'll mention Association Women Technology Champions. There is, I mean, th- their community is on Slack. And so you go there and that I'll, I'll admit I'm a lurker there. I don't, you know, like I'm not super active in there. But I mean, they'll have some really great resources in there where they're sharing either job opportunities or they're sharing things about like, they'll have meetups in DC. If you're in the DC area, they will, um, they'll ask questions about different types of technology that will help with this problem or that problem. And it's a very niche group, Association Women Technology Champions, but it's a really effective community and also very trustworthy because if they all know you at first, they will get to know you. So that's something that people can go and look into. They have, um, their website is like awtc.tech, I think. And then of course, you know, like association chat, you know, primarily our, uh, communities on at most active on Facebook. And so it's a Facebook private group, but, um, you know, it's, it's so active every single day. And again, people ask their questions, they feel safe in sharing information. And what I'm always trying to do is I'm trying to give people opportunities to share a little bit about themselves so that they get to know each other. And I feel like it's a win when I'm getting people to like post their pictures of like parts of their lives or to share a little bit about themselves. And so when they do have a problem, they feel like, the community at least is friendly towards them. You know, they kind of know who else is there. If they know what your dog looks like, they're probably going to feel like, okay, I might be safe to ask this question about databases, you know? Which is not a um, thing to tell people. Everybody just go out and ask people to post pictures of their dog and they will no, no, no. That's not how it's going to work, but. No, no, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. But, yeah. you know, it's like when when they are able to share a little bit about themselves, it's, it seems to over time, to help them to feel a little bit more comfortable. You know, I, I don't know. I think that, that, that trust building behavior all starts with ourselves and we have to, we have to really look first within what are we doing in our own personal communication? And are we, do we trust ourselves? Are we, are we keeping promises that we make to ourselves so that we can be confident in the commitments we make to other people? And that's something where I think that that takes it one step further so that people are pretty perceptive sometimes. They can read when you're not 100% convinced in what you're telling them. So if you're saying that they should trust you and, and you're communicating with them regularly, well, do you trust yourself? Do you, would you trust you? Well, I think that gets back to sort of like a way to kind of wrap this up a little bit. So what is the most important thing that we can do 
as an association, as an association is made up of two things. It's made up of the reputation and then it's made up of the people inside. And obviously the two are intertwined, but just as an association, what is the most important thing that we could do to build trust with members? Well, you always look out for your character and competency. So are you demonstrating and demonstrating through your actions uh, that they can trust your character, your intent, that's like your intention. They can trust your values, your decision-making as far as why you're making the decisions you're making. And can they trust your competency? And when it's about, you know, when they start thinking about competency, it's really about, do I trust that you know what you're supposed to be doing? <laughs> it's not about intention. It's more about like, do you have the resources that you need? Are you allocating those resources appropriately? This is this is like for the staff of three that is saying that they're going to commit to writing a newsletter every week or something. It's like, that's a bad idea. You know, you probably are too stretched thin and, and somebody would probably recognize that and say, ah, I don't know, maybe you need to revisit that idea. So competency is really important. And so is character. Are you demonstrating regularly that they can have tra trust in both? Because if you have a trust breakdown, it's usually in one one of those two areas. Once you have that breakdown, it's really a lot harder to rebuild it once it's yeah. broken. Um, I think that's some great advice to end on. Thank you so much for joining today. I had such a great time talking with you. And we'll definitely be following up to chat with you again sometime soon. Sounds great. Uh, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you can make sure you see all the episodes when they come out. Check out Association Marketing Pros, the newsletter. You can get that link in the description. And thanks again. Mm -hmm.